Uh, If you have your Bibles this morning, we're going to go to a number of different scriptures today. Uh, I want to preach a message entitled this morning, Four Things We Must Do This Year. Four Things We Must Do This Year. Amen. Exercise, lose weight. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Eat better. Those are usually the things that are on everybody's list, and usually by the end of January, we have, uh, we have, uh, we've pretty much at that point said, well, we fulfilled it, uh, let's just do what we always used to do. Um, I just, I wanted to share a message, I didn't, I didn't really feel it was appropriate, uh, given the first Sunday of the year, to uh, talk about Samson. Uh, which he's on, he's on the next list of the classics of the scripture. I was going to just hit the Samson and Delilah story, but it, it really, you really, when you talk about Samson, you get to talk about pretty much, you know, from beginning to end with his life. So uh, that we will postpone for another day. But I really felt like uh, I, I just, I wanted to try to encourage, at the same time, motivate and admonish, and sometimes. With that, we have to look back at maybe some of the, the failures and some of the things that we didn't do well and say, Lord, we've got to do it better. Uh, and I'm not even going to spend a great deal of time focusing on us specifically in the church and doing things better the way that we used to do or the way that maybe we kind of let slip. It's not even going to be about that. But I think it's just, you know, it's kind of like what Peter told uh, the people that he was writing his epistles to. He said, I, I want to stir up your minds by way of remembrance. In other words, what I'm telling you is I'm not telling you something that you don't already know. I'm not telling you something that you have, uh, that you have even forgotten about. I just want to have it be in front of you so that you are always aware of it. You know, there are certain truths of the Bible that we, we sort of have cataloged in our minds, and we know about them, and when we, sometimes even when we're reading the Bible or we hear a sermon about it, we, we have the tendency to kind of check out a little bit because we, we think to ourselves, I, I'm, you know, I've got that down. I already know that. Or I I understand about that topic or I understand about that theological viewpoint. So let me just step back from that. And and really I wish the pastor would hit something that I'm really interested in. Well, you know, the bottom line here today is as a church, if we are going to be a church, if we are going to be Christians and believers in Christ, we cannot put these on the back burner. The four things that I want to talk to you about today, and quite literally, I'll just, I'll break it down. You can get the four points right now. Pray, proclaim, give, and grow. Pray, proclaim, give, and grow. And, and we can pray and we can go home. No, I'm kidding. Uh, that, that is the sermon in a nutshell. That is the outline of it right now. But we need to get into some scripture and give it some basis today. The first thing that we must do this year is we must pray. We absolutely must. You say, Pastor, we know about prayer. 
We know all there is to know about it. We know how important it is. We know that as a Christian, that is one of the things that as a believer we are to do. We must pray. And how many of us really, in the end, do it as often as we should? I'm not looking for a show of hands. But in the end, if we know it, then we must do it. There are oftentimes responses that we get from others that when they don't do something they are supposed to do, we will sometimes get an, I know, I know, I know, you know. Sometimes they're the younger crowd that, that have that. And I, I have, you know, I'm, I can be bad that way. I can kind of, I, I know, I know, you know. And, and I remember as a kid saying that to my parents. And their response oftentimes was, well, if you know, why don't you do? Prayer is one of those things, brothers and sisters, it is the lifeline of the believer. And if that lifeline is cut, it is not long before there will be a lifeless, powerless Christian. We must pray. And I'm not talking about in this moment, let's pray now, no, I'm not talking about even on Tuesday nights. You know, Tuesday nights, for as many as come on Tuesday nights, not a lot make it a habit, but as many as are there on Tuesday nights, sometimes we come in and we find it hard to even pray then, even when there are others around us. What about when you're alone? If we find it hard to pray with one another, with the support of one another, with the help of one another, what happens when we are alone? You, I, I am intending this for a, this message to somehow be a way that you might search your own heart as I have had to search my own, as I have gone through the outline of this and gone through some of the scriptures that we're going to read today. But I believe with all my heart, we have to honestly ask ourselves at the beginning of 2015, do I want my prayer life to be what it was in 2014? Or do I want it to be better? And if I want it to be better, there are some things that we must do with regard to prayer. Two things that we must pray for, and then, or pray about and pray for, and the last thing that I want to mention to you will be the frequency of it. And I think these three things, hopefully, will challenge us. We, first of all, I believe, as a church... And in our individual lives, need to pray for his power. Go to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. We must pray for his power. Because a powerless church is an ineffective church. It will be a dead church. It will be a dry church. It will be a church that will not be doing what God wants it to do. And brothers and sisters, I want to declare today that what God desires from us is not to be a little social club that we, God, if it ever went away, what would I do? I think what we need to begin to ask ourselves, God, if this church ever went away, what would the community do? And sometimes I wonder if the community would even notice in reality. 
This is where we have to pray for the power of God. Brothers and sisters, you say, well, you know, a lot of that is done through social programs. It's done through this and that. And those are all well and good. Those are all fine. I, ha- I don't knock it. I believe that if, you can, if you, can, you can operate in that vein and do some of those things and you can give and you can be a blessing to the poor and you can help those that are around you, wonderful. But in the end, I want to see souls come into the kingdom of God and it cannot happen unless we have the power of God. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, and the Bible says this. It tells us these words, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Do you see the relationship between power and witnessing? Power and declaring. I'm getting ahead of myself just a little bit. But we have to have power in order for us to do what God is calling us to do. We have to pray, Lord, fill us with your power. It doesn't say we have to pray there, Pastor. Why are you using that scripture? Fine. Let's go to Acts chapter 2. If you want to get technical with me, of course, I'm talking to myself here. Nobody's doing this, but, you know, at any rate, the Bible says this. In Acts chapter 2, starting at verse 1, it says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And I'm not going to take the time to read in Acts chapter 4 as well. They gathered together once again, and the Bible says, and they all prayed, and the power of the Holy Spirit came upon them once again. Why? Because the power of the Holy Spirit enables you as a believer to do what God has called you to do in a world that so desperately needs to know Him. Listen, I I appreciate what Brother Bonke is going to be doing in June and preaching the gospel to America. I think there are some people and some Christians who have almost sort of written America off simply because we, we have... We now have a more godless society in America than we have ever had in the history of this country. People being raised who don't know about Jesus Christ. They see a church on the corner and that's all they know about it. It's a church. It's a religion. It's just one among many. It's one, you know, there's all this, these kinds of things that are rolling around in our educational system. You can't you know, you, you, you can't uh, worry too much about, you know, who's right and who's wrong. Just go with your gut, whatever you feel, and hopefully in the end it'll all work out. I don't want a hopefully. I don't want at the end a hopefully it will work out. I want to know for sure. And the Bible has stated very clearly that Jesus Christ came to this earth, died on the cross for the sins of mankind, and you can know for sure that if you reach the end, whether it is earlier or later, that no matter what, you can have an assurance that you are saved, that you will have the eternal life that He has promised to mankind. I don't want a maybe. I don't want a, well, let's let's 
just hope it all pans out and works out. Brothers and sisters, the Bible is clear and it lets us know this is the kind of power that we need to be able to witness and to declare the works of the Lord. We need power in our services. We don't, we don't need to come in and just, well, let's, you know, just kind of take up space. No, no, no. Listen, brothers and sisters, we need to reach out for more of the power of God in our services that His glory would descend upon us and that God would do great and mighty and awesome things in our midst. God desires to do great things in you. We need to pray. We need to pray for His provision. What do I mean by provision? Do I mean, well, that God would provide us what we need? No, that's not, a, not, not even close with what I mean. Turn to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. And we need to pray for another kind of provision. Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. And the Bible says this. Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, and we're going to read down through to verse 38. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. I, I, that verse we could spend all day on, but that's not the focus of this. But what's the answer to that problem? It's the next verse. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. We need to pray that God would provide workers for the harvest field. Do you know that there are people today who want to hear about Jesus? They want to hear about what it is that he has done. They don't want to hear about your religion. They don't want to hear about the fact that you went to church. Every, everybody goes to church. That's, uh, I say everybody. Lots of people go to church. A lot of people spend time in church on Sunday. And they walk out absolutely the same as what they walked in. They want to hear about what Jesus did on the cross. Do you know that there are people who go to church all their lives and don't even hear the gospel? Say, well, what really matters most is that they go to church. No, it's not. It's not what matters most. What matters most is that they hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, how is that going to happen? We have to ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. Now, when we're asking him, we can't pray the prayer that says, Lord Jesus, please send out others, but God, please don't send me out. Because I'm just so scared. If that's our attitude, we've got to go back to the first prayer that we need to pray. Pray for power. And so that the fear will leave. You remember Peter? Peter was just this disciple who was, you know, he was always getting into his, you know, just saying things that he shouldn't say. He was, he was just doing, you know, always so impulsive with his, his words, so impulsive with his actions. And yet, the Bible reveals that Peter, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, was confronted three times that he was somebody who had been with Jesus. And what did Peter do? Peter was like, oh, no, not me. You know, he's cowering in a corner. 
But when the power of the Holy Spirit came on his life, it was Peter standing out there on the street corner proclaiming the power and the grace and the mercy of God that he had come, that he had sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for their sins. The power of God makes all the difference, but we still have to pray, Lord, the harvest is so plentiful, but the laborers are few. When I sat in that room with, I would venture to say, somewhere between the vicinity, I'm terrible at estimating, especially crowds of people, but I'm going to guess at about 400 to 600 pastors in that room. All of those pastors and representatives represent churches in this city and in surrounding suburbs. All of this, I thought, man, that many churches. And yet you think about the city and how lost it is? Dear God, we've, our, this is a never-ending task, folks. This is why we have to pray, Lord, send out workers. But then you notice in Matthew chapter 10, we're not going to take the time to read it, but Matthew 10 says, and then Jesus sent 72 of his disciples out two by two to go. In other words, pray, but also be part of the solution. And that's what we have to do. So we have to pray for his power, and we have to prov- pray that he will provide workers for the harvest field. But also, I want to just speak to the frequency of prayer. We know the scripture. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17. Pray continually. King James says, pray without ceasing. So how often are we supposed to do this? You see, as ministry is the never-ending task, so is prayer. In fact, there are times where ministry ceases. There are times where ministering to others comes to an end. Like, you know, you're tired and, you, you know, it's the end of a service or it's the, the end of a day or whatever the case might be. But the Bible says to pray continually. The ministry of prayer is open to everybody and it's a never-ending task. So we have to pray. In this coming year, we have to pray more than we have ever, ever prayed before. What is the next thing we have to do? We have to proclaim. What do I mean uh, by proclaim? Well, you know, there are some things that I I found in the Scripture that we are to proclaim. And, And essentially, we are to proclaim or preach. It's not just, you know, you're not going to stand in the pulpit necessarily, but preaching is to persuade men. Proclaiming is to declare the wonders of the Lord, declare the grace of God. But the Bible lets us know that we are to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. Go to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, and then we'll go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 after that. Romans chapter 10. And the Bible says this. In Romans chapter 10, you know what, uh, yeah, starting at verse 13, and we'll go down to, through to verse 15. It says this, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, uh, uh, calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now listen to what Paul says. How then can they call on one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? It's an amazing thing. Sometimes we talk to people about Jesus. We'll read the rest of this in just a moment. We talk to people about Jesus a little bit, or maybe we talk about religion or faith, or we we, kind of make it general. 
because that seemingly is not offensive people and we're just, we don't like to offend anybody, even though Jesus, you know, offended many people. But nonetheless, we, we have this generalized conversation and then we cannot figure out why they don't believe. But the Bible says this, how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? If you skirt around Jesus... If Jesus is not in the conversation and then you walk away from the conversation wondering why you could not win that person, it is because Jesus was not part of the conversation. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. There is no way for them to believe in Jesus and on Jesus for salvation if Jesus isn't included. So, what does he say? And how can they hear, listen to this, without someone preaching to them? That word preaching literally means to preach or to proclaim, to tell, to urge the acceptance of a message. Sometimes this is where we often fail, even in our witnessing, is we fail to urge the acceptance of the message. Oh, I can't do that, Pastor i got to wait for them to come to church and then you give an altar call so that hopefully they will take a moment and walk down an aisle in front of people they have never met before in a building that is strange to them in the midst of a service they may have never experienced before. I want that to happen. How about we, we don't stretch our faith that far. How about we stretch it far enough to say, will you accept my message? The message I'm telling you? See where this goes I want to tell you, you have an in with people that you never dreamed you could have. You have it better and easier than the pastor or evangelist standing in the pulpit inviting people to come to Christ. You can do it right there. Listen, let's go on. The Bible says in verse 15, And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Now go over to 1 Corinthians 1. Just the next book over in the New Testament, just head right, and you should be there quickly. 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 17, for Christ did not send me, Paul, to baptize. Remember, there was this whole discussion, and there was this disunity about, you know, well, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, and I, well, the, the really spiritual crowd were like, well, we follow Jesus, you know, and, and there was, but there was this pride, and there was this bickering, and this disunity and Paul says you know what God didn't call me to baptize he says but to preach the gospel not with words of human wisdom lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power Paul believed that the most important thing you could ever do as a Christian is share your faith with somebody he says he's called me to preach in another place and a little later on in, in the same epistle, Paul says, woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. I've got to do it. I have to do it. Why? Because if the gospel is the only thing that is going to bring somebody else into the kingdom of God. It's the only thing. Now, what else are we supposed to declare and proclaim? We are to proclaim the word of faith. Go right back to Romans 10 in a few verses just above where we just read, verses 8 through 10. We are to proclaim the word of faith. This verse of Scripture gets taken out of context 
like no other I have ever heard. There are a few that get taken out of context, but this is one of them. The Bible says this in Romans chapter 8, or 10, sorry, Romans 10, 10, verses 8 through 10. It says this, but what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith we are proclaiming. Now, what is the word of faith they are proclaiming. I've heard this often talked about, like it's just, you know, you got to have faith in whatever you speak. That's what happens. And that, that, that's not what Paul is saying here. Listen to what he's saying. That, clarifying what the word of faith is focused on and centered on, that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead... You will be saved. For it is written, or for it is with your heart that you believe and you are and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you are you confess and are saved. Paul is saying the word of faith is the word of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the thing that both sparks faith in somebody's heart and the thing that they respond to in faith, and in fact, then can be saved. So we have to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. We have to proclaim the word of faith. And there is one more thing that I want to just briefly mention, the word of life. The word of life. Paul writes to the Philippian church in Philippians chapter 2. Philippians 2. Go to Philippians 2, verses 14 to 16. Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 to 16. Do everything without complaining or arguing. That's a tall task, isn't it? That's a whole other sermon. That's not where we're headed. So that you may become blameless and pure. Philippians 2, verses 14 to 16. Children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation, listen to this, in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. Now, some translations put as you hold to the word of life, but the context actually seems to bring out the idea and the concept of holding out the word of life. In other words, there is no other way for you to shine the way that God wants you to shine. Jesus said to his disciples, you are the light of the world. Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 to 16, you're the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth. There is no other way for you to shine unless you hold out the word of life. Now, you have to hold on to the word of life in order to do that, but you also hold it out. This word of life that we have, brothers and sisters, is not for us to just kind of, well, let's just have it only in the church. No, 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 no. It is meant to be held out. I, I almost said hold it out. It is meant to be held out. It is to be given to others so that you can shine like stars in the universe. Brothers and sisters, God has called us to be light to a darkened world. The world is full of the darkness of sin. The only way, brothers and sisters, for us to be the light of the world is to hold on to the word and then hold out the word of life. Now, we must pray, we must proclaim, we must give. 
we have to give, there are two things, give of our time and give of our substance. Give of our time. It was an interesting thing as I began to, to contemplate this passage, my, or contemplate this, this particular part of the message. My mind went to uh, the book of Haggai. Haggai chapter 1, go into the Old Testament, and you've got to find the minor prophet Haggai. Haggai chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. See, the people of Haggai's time were stingy, not with money, but with their time. When it came to doing what God wanted them to do, they settled into a life of ease and said, you know, God, we thank you for bringing us back to our homeland. Haggai is a, what is called a post-exilic prophet. That is, he prophesied during the time that came after the exile to Babylon. They had been exiled to Babylon for 70 years. God brought them back into their homeland. And this is one of the prophets that God raised up after that time to speak to the people and to quite literally light a fire under them to do what God wanted them to do. Listen to what the Bible says in Haggai chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say... The time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? The people of Haggai's time found themselves in a position of looking at a temple that had been destroyed, and maybe there was an element of them that felt overwhelmed. Maybe the task was too big. Wait, let's give them just a, a smidge of, of the benefit of the doubt on this one. Maybe they felt it was difficult. Maybe it was going to be hard. Maybe they thought, you know, we're just going to build it and some other, some other emperor or some other ruler, ruling nation is going to come in and they're going to wipe it out and destroy it. We, let's just go home, you know, our families have been gone, families we've, as a nation have gone through so much, let's just relax, rest. And God looked down at the temple that was still in ruins and he says, you say it's not time, I say it's time. He says, you're sitting there doing nothing with your time. You know, a lot of times we, we put some stock in rest and relaxation. But, you know, there are times where God has called us to work and to do more than what we do. He said, Pastor, I'm not sure what more I can do. You know, I do this, 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 and this in the church, and I, I'm not really sure what more. I, I, listen, this is for you to simply search your heart, but I want you to know the people of Israel at that time, they found themselves in a position of being stingy, and they felt as though it was inconvenient. You know, there are times where we feel the work of the Lord is just inconvenient. You know, it's an amazing thing that God never said to, to you know, God, when the Father said to Jesus, I want you to go to earth, and I want you to die on a cross, and I want you to give your life for me. Jesus didn't look at him and say, you know, Father, it's inconvenient for me to do that. 
If Jesus had not died on the cross, where would we be? If he had not come to this earth, where would mankind be? He didn't, you know, he, he gave all. And we can't give just a little, you know, a little bit of time to God here and there, whether it is for some thing, some piece of work that needs to be done, or whether it is for the work of the Lord in our lives as individuals or something else. We get stingy with it and say, nah, I'm not going to do that because you know what? It is a waste. I don't think so. I think the Bible tells us that we are to store up treasures in heaven where moth and rust and all of these things cannot steal and corrode and thieves can't break in and steal. We, we've got to learn to begin to set our eyes on things above, not on things of this earth because that which is on this earth is temporary. He's saying you're living in paneled houses. You, you're just sitting back and relaxing and you're doing nothing and My house is in ruins. Brothers and sisters, if God speaks to you in some way to begin to do something, listen, don't wait for some sanction and blessing. You begin to work for the kingdom of God and do what God called you to do. He wants us to give of our time. He wants us to give of our substance. This, the Bible says this in Malachi. You're in the Old Testament. Go to the last book of the Old Testament. Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3, verses 10 through 12. Malachi 3, 10 through 12. He tells the people this. They, they asked, he said, the people said, well, where have we robbed God? God says, you know, you've robbed me in your tithes and offerings. You give to something else, and you don't give to the house of the Lord. You don't give to the work of the Lord. He says, bring the whole tithe. Seems as though he had to say the whole tithe because part of the tithe went somewhere else. Began to think it's better. Let me just, you know, there's a cause. There is a, there is a thing out there that I'm interested in. Let me just, you know, you know God, God will understand. Well, I see God understanding that he knows the math. He understands the math. And he says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says God, the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines of your field will not cast their, will not cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. Then all nations will call you blessed. For yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Now there is a, an ongoing uh, thing here in the church of, of in the church in general that says that the tithe is a an Old Testament principle, but in fact it is not. It is carried into the New Testament both as Jesus uh, talked about giving. Jesus talked about and condoned it and said, "Yes, this is something that should be done, but then you should give more." Well, listen to what Paul says in the New Testament. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 2. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will be made. There was something specific that was occurring, but Paul was saying in this situation, he said, on the first day of every week, set aside money in keeping with your income. Well, what is in keeping? God asked for 10%. You know, you go to a restaurant 
and they expect the waitress or the, the server, whoever, whether it's a man or a woman, they expect at least 15. I, I have the tendency, I don't, I, 15, and even that these days, they're now bumping it up a little bit to 18. You know, you might as well just call it 20. And if you don't give that, if you leave a smaller tip, what will occur is somebody will come to your table and say, excuse me, is there a problem? Hmm? Isn't it interesting that when we don't give what we should be giving, God doesn't come down and say, is there a problem? Hmm? Is there some, something going on here? Is there, is there an issue? Is the food not good? The service not good? Is there something that, that should be happening here that isn't happening? Is that what's occurring here? God says, God doesn't do that. And yet the Bible says, this is what is expected of us. Now, we could get into the whole area of tithes and offerings because that's exactly what Malachi was saying. You, he, God said, you've skimped on tithes and offerings. Something goes above and beyond. He says, that's happened. Brothers and sisters, God still expects us to put our money where our mouth is. Oh, I have faith. But don't let me give to that. We must give. We must learn to give of our time and give of our substance. The last thing we must do is we must grow. And I'm going to close with this. We have to grow as individuals. Galatians chapter 4 and verse 19, Paul says these words. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. He says, I want Jesus to be formed in your life. There is nothing else that Paul desired more than seeing others grow in Christ, individuals grow in Christ. That was one of his goals, not only to preach the gospel to those who hadn't heard it, but it was then to take those who had heard the gospel, responded positively, and, and then see them grow. And he says, I'm working, I am working to see you grow as individuals. Listen to what the Bible says. You don't need to turn there. You can write it down. In 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 15, Paul says, neither do we go beyond our limits by boasting of work done by others. We're not going to rob others of the work they've done. He says this, our hope is that as, for, as your faith continues to grow, our area of activity among you will greatly expand. He says, faith, your individual growth in faith will then lead to greater activity. Not only by us, but, but you as well. But greater faith. He says, I want to see you grow and as that faith grows, it leads to us doing more for the kingdom of God. So we must grow as individuals. But I often hear some say, as long as I am growing spiritually, that's what really counts. Well, that's only part of the picture. Because as a church, we are all individual parts of the body. So what must happen with the body? The body has to grow. We have to grow as a church. Listen to Ephesians. In fact, go to Ephesians. And I'm going to close with this scripture. Ephesians chapter 4, and verse 16. Ephesians 4 and verse 16. From him, the whole body, 
joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up, how? In love, as each part does its work. Do you notice that? There is an individual part that you have to play in the growth of the whole. And if we somehow begin to make it, well, at least we're growing spiritually. If you're growing spiritually, we should be growing as a body. There's no other way to look at it. Sometimes we, we, we sort of use that as an excuse to not do a little more to reach out to others who need to know Christ. We say, well, but I'm going to grow spiritually. If you're growing spiritually, you should be then giving out to others. Say, Pastor, it's really hard for me to do that. Get over yourself. Get into prayer and find out what God wants you to do and say, Jesus, help me to be a significant part of what it is that you want me to do. Say, God, I am going to depend on you and I'm going to trust in you and I'm going to believe in you to take me outside of myself in order that I might be all that you want me to be. You know what? Jesus came to die for us on the cross. He didn't come to coddle us. He didn't come to just pat us on the head and let our insecurities roam free. He came to deliver us and give us freedom. The Bible says, He whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Let's stand to our feet and let's give God praise. Let's just worship Him right now and say, God, I'm reaching out to you for more today. I'm reaching out for you to you for all that you have for me. I want to be used by you. I want the glory of God to shine through in my life. I want to be a light to the world. Help me to pray as I should. Let's just call upon Him right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for Your people today, O God, that You would give them strength that you would give them help, O oh God, that you administer by the power of the Spirit, and that, Lord God, you would enable your people to do great and mighty and awesome things for your kingdom. Lord, help us, I pray, to set aside our own thoughts and our own minds, O oh God, in all of this in terms of how it is that we perceive ourselves in front of others. And may we hold out the word of life to those that need to know about You. Lord Jesus, use this church. Use the individuals in it. Light a fire in our midst, O oh God. In the name of Jesus. And Lord God, I pray that if there are those who have yet to really reach out to You for, for more of You, God, I pray that they would make it their plan and their, their goal, O oh God, to spend time in prayer, to spend time in Your Word, and to gain more access into the throne room of grace. Dear God, we thank You today. I pray for Your glory and Your power to be revealed in our lives, O oh God. Use this body, use this congregation for Your glory. In the name of Jesus, God, we love You and we thank You for all that You have done. I thank You, Jesus, that You didn't hold back when it came to giving to Your people. You came for Your own, O oh God, and I thank You, Jesus. We were created in Your image and because of that, Lord, You love us with an everlasting love. Lord, we give You the honor today. And we, we thank You for all that You have done, Lord, in the precious and wonderful name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Before you leave this place, turn and greet each other. God bless you. Come out Tuesday night for prayer and let's believe God for His grace.